Hello, I'm Annabelle Lee and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast. Brandon Lawrence is a principal dancer with the Birmingham Royal Ballet Company, but will be leaving at the end of the 2022-23 season to join Ballet Zurich, the ballet company of the Zurich Opera House. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talk about Brandon's love of classical music, various aspects surrounding the relationship between music and dance, working with orchestras, conductors, favourite ballet scores, and dancing narrative and non-narrative ballets, among other things. What really shines through in this discussion with Brandon is his real passion and extensive knowledge, not only of the ballet canon, but the classical music canon too. And I think that you're going to learn so much from this discussion. I certainly did, particularly about the many intricacies and the small details about how music and dance link together and how important they really are in the ballet world. I really enjoyed my visit to the Birmingham Royal Ballet headquarters and many thanks to Brandon and the staff there for making me feel really welcome. I'm sure that you will want to join me in congratulating and wishing Brandon the very best of success for his new venture in Zurich. So enjoy this conversation with Brandon Lawrence and I hope that you'll be able to join me for another podcast in the not too distant future. Well thank you so much Brandon for giving up your time to talk to me. It's so lovely I can have you on. So why don't you start off by just telling me a little bit about yourself and your journey into the arts and ballet. Do you come from an, an artistic household yourself? No I have an older sister. She's two years above me, but she's very much the academic. She went to university. She now she's like she's a manager now. She's studying HR to become a HR director. So very different <laughs> to what I do. And no one in the family has danced. So it really came out of nowhere. But I did grow up going to the pantomime. Um, yes, you did. My, my grandparents used to buy his tickets for Christmas to go. So it was kind of the theatrics that always kind of pulled me in, pulled me in to yeah, the theatre. Yeah, then dance just kind of, kind of came out of nowhere. I was brought up around lots of music, going to carnivals. And I even remember at a young age on the radio, always trying to find classical music here and there. You know, I've, I've got a big fascination with classical music. I'm a big supporter of CBSO as well. We can talk about that later. So, yeah. So... It came out of nowhere. I just started dancing around a lot, bits inspired by things on the TV that I saw. And then one thing led to another. And my mum thought, Do you know what? Let's take him to a dance school. So I spoke to a family friend, went to a, a dance school where I, I did tap, ballet and jazz. And then there was just something about ballet that just stuck with me a little bit more. Probably parts of the discipline and the line and like a challenge. So it was probably a lot of that which just resonated with me a little bit more and it just kept going the doors kind of kept opening I didn't know it could be a career to begin with it was only as I was exposed to more I realized this couldn't be something and just kept going yeah so you what was it particularly about ballet that you said you loved the challenge was it the music as well you said that you loved classical music yeah yeah I I've always been a fan of classical music and I think just because you can actually get so much range and I think some people think you can't, but you can. There's so much range within classical world with the music that's produced. And it's been around for so long. There's pieces that were done, yeah, like 
tens of hundreds of years ago, which is still just as relevant and as spectacular today. So that mixed with dance. And I like the elegance as well. The elegance of not just the movement, but the music. How they just both coincide with each other. It just speaks to me. Yeah, oh, that's, that's so fantastic. And are you musical yourself? Do you sing or play any instruments? I definitely don't sing. Yeah. You, uh, well, I hum along. I sing in my own way, in my own space, yeah. <laughs> as we all do. Yeah. But going through school, before I actually went to the Royal Ballet School when I was 14, I had played, I had studied a little bit of the trumpet fantastic. for about two years. But then before I left, for a good three years, I, I, played, I was part of the steel pan. Band. Amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. And we used to do festivals and go around to different schools and things like that. So it was a branch off of my school back in Yorkshire. And yeah, I kind of worked my way from bass up until actually playing the tune on that's, a lot of them. That's so and cool. Loved it. Because sometimes you see them around in Birmingham, yeah. don't you? Well, <laughs> I've never actually seen them around in Birmingham. Oh, really? It's like 12th year in Birmingham, and yeah. I just haven't seen them. Okay. But I love that sound. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's a very simple, put together way of, of playing. And I think what was What's quite unique is that our school had a full kit, a full band, which you don't really get in like schools and things. <laughs> but we had it and I was part of the group and I loved it. But I haven't played or done anything in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's so cool because like you said, you have like the bass and then you've got the treble mm. and then like each one kind of has its own component mm. part within mm. the, the texture, isn't it? Yeah, complete textures, complete yeah. textures. and. I think what's really great about Steel Pan is no matter what the tune is, whatever's been played, it instantly transports people to sun, sunshine, relaxation, Caribbean feeling kind of thing. It instantly has that kind of heat vibes, you know, (laughs) it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So you said you trained at the Royal Ballet School, Mm. because I I know that at the Royal Ballet School don't doesn't everyone have to learn an instrument or they have to sing in a choir or something? There's a quite big emphasis on, on music, yeah. isn't there? As part yeah, of the yes, yeah, there is. They don't force anyone to play instruments, but there are definite pathways of that. Yeah. There were a lot of people in my year group that did, it was at an extra cost, but they did do extra lessons yeah. or they did lessons in violin or flute or that. And, mm-hmm. and they did that very often. But everyone, there was a whole school choir, mm-hmm. which everyone was in. Yeah. No ex- exceptions. Yeah. Everyone was yeah, in it. of course. And then also, and this was at the at White Lodge, so yes. the lower school. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then at the in year eleven, the final year of White Lodge, there's also a chamber choir oh. where they selected individuals, and I was in the chamber choir myself. Were you? Yes, oh, I wonderful. Was. Which which part? Tenor, oh, bass. No, I think oh maybe bass actually. It was so long ago. Yeah, you sound like a bass. Yeah, yeah. It was about tall. About there's only about twelve of us, twelve or fifteen of us. It was only that year group, and we. It was tradition at the school every year to have a carol service. Oh yeah, which was in Sheen, Sheen Gate, off of Richmond Park. Yeah, I know. And it was magical. It was a magical yeah. event, and it was absolutely wonderful. I loved it. I really loved it. Actually, singing in the choir it was quite a highlight of the year. And then the chamber choir also had certain numbers we would sing, and it was great. Part of me thinks it would, it would be nice to still be in a choir, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting because, I mean, I've spoken to a number of people on this podcast who actually started a number of our most celebrated musicians. Mm. They actually started in choirs, you know, cathedral choirs or, ah. you know, choral scholarships. Uh-huh. And, I mean, I, I was a music scholar at school, and so I had to sing in a choir as well. Yes. But, I mean, you don't really appreciate it at the time because you're like, oh, I have to do the choir. Yes. But looking back, 
you kind of you're really grateful for those opportunities mm. because it mm. really helps you to kind of understand like if I play in an orchestra for example it helps you to understand about kind of blending in with other people yes and yeah. I think that really translates well to dance exactly, in a way I was going to ask you. you when a company has been formed and you're looking at a full-length ballet or well any kind of ballet and you'll have the different parts of it you've got the core you've got the soloist yes. you've got the principal parts like it really does echo and all work together it's like a jigsaw yeah and how it all just fits yeah. neatly and how the give and the take, the push and the pull, the dumb down to bring up, it all really works together. So other than it being tradition for the school to do that, it actually is a vital part of curriculum to kind of learn what you need to do in a studio in a different kind of atmosphere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever danced Camina Burana? I have. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. It is spectacular. And actually... In a few weeks, I'm going to see CPSO play it and, of course, oh, the chorus at Symphony exciting. Hall. Yes, so my previous director, Sir David Bintley, has his own production of yes. Carmina Brana, which is incredible, absolutely yes. genius. And I had the good fortune. We actually danced it twice within one year. We did it once in the springtime, yeah. and it was at the London Coliseum. And oh, that was amazing. actually our final time as a company at the London Coliseum. And I just danced in the group then in the corps de ballet yeah. and then it brought it was brought back in the summer here in Birmingham when he had it alongside his the king dances which was a brand new commission he did where I actually danced the third seminarian okay. in that and it's I only look at it with fond amazing memories yeah. and it, what's interesting is it's such a meaty piece yeah. and of course you've got Fortuna, yeah, yeah. Uh, the beginning and the end, which is big. However, that's not even my favourite part. No. Other parts of it are so strong and so rich in the textures. That's yeah. just the, I suppose, commercial level that, of what um, people love. That, that tenor aria, when he sings in the falsetto about the dying swan, oh, it's yes. just absolutely extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Oh, it's amazing. It's extraordinary. And you get a tenor who does it so well and sings in that falsetto and doesn't crack. It's amazing. Yeah, it takes your breath away. Yeah. It's really breathtaking. And to be on stage dancing to that as oh, well. Yeah. And what's really great about David, he has given, he's taken the words and the chorus into account and the solos into account of the dancing. So he's complimenting that. He's not trying to work against it. Yeah. He's complimenting or has complimented the already distinguished piece of music and layered his work on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that's really really clever to do i think people think they do that sometimes with dance but they don't always achieve it because it can bash and it can collide dance can collide with music like that and singing like that if it's not done strategically or well because sometimes it's not just visually it's also it's all the senses yes absolutely um yeah he it's it's one of his most notable works and actually it was the first work he created as director of Birmingham Royal Ballet. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because wow. yeah. I was going to say, I mean, obviously that's got massive choir, it's got the orchestra, yeah. you know, the percussion yeah. and everything. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, like you said, it just must be such a privilege for you to oh, have yeah. this yeah. incredible orchestra and also you get to work with some amazing conductors as yes. well. So, oh, yeah. incredible conductors. I mean, here at Birmingham Royal Ballet, well, our music director is Coon Kessels, yes. who's also a music director of the Royal Ballet and a wonderful, wow. wonderful guy. We call him Maestro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then we've Phil Ellis and Paul Murphy. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. I've known Paul Murphy since I was at the Royal Ballet School oh, wow. because he would always conduct the Royal Ballet School 
end of year performance, which happened at the Royal Opera House. So I've I've been very much aware of him since I was like 14, 15 years old. And then we've had other conductors throughout the year, throughout my time here, Thomas Jung, Dominic Greer, Jonathan Lowe. So there's been. Barry Wordsworth, yes, actually, yeah. Barry Wordsworth. So he he's come back to guest a few times, yeah. not not too much because he did kind of retire. But we we did have him on a, on occasion, and most more recently, the company did a performance at the Royal Albert Hall. It was a one-off celebratory performance with the London Philharmonic, yeah. and he also conducted that. Mm-hmm. So that was I Dance White Swan Act Two part of that. Oh. So that was. One of the last memories I have of, of working with Barry, and that was, yeah. was it last year? I think it was last year now. And the Royal Albert Hall, I mean, what a venue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty extraordinary because it's just absolutely extraordinary because it's in that horseshoe. It's in the round, isn't in it? Round, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it kind of feels intimate, but it also feels massive at Very the same vast. time. Yes, so, yeah. Well, yeah. for the past, I think, four years, it's hard with the pandemic in the middle. You know. yeah. But for the, around the past four or five years, we've, the company have been taking the Nutcracker there at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the first year we were blown away. We thought, oh, it's incredible. Oh my gosh, lucky us to be performing here mm-hmm. and at this time mm-hmm. of year. And then the second year came and we thought, oh my gosh, we're back again. What is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even we have just done it. And everybody, no matter if you were there at the first year or if it was your, the first year doing it, you are, it's a pinch me moment. It's yeah. a pinch me moment of hearing the music bound around that space having the space there to dance having the audience there just being in a space where icons have been mm-hmm. um, of all different genres yeah, you know such yeah. a multifunctional space it's, it's remarkable yeah I bet and I want to talk about the relationship that you have particularly with conductors so do you find that you have to adapt depending on different conductors do you kind of have conversations with them about how you want to, because it was interesting listening to your interview with Jonathan, because you said that you you try to adapt your dancing to, to fit the music and not mm. the other way around. So just tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, well, it's very interesting because if we're talking about something that's already created, yeah. music-wise, let's talk about Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. It just happened, yeah. just finished. And my conductor for a lot of that was Martin Gregorio wonderful conductor, really lovely man. He conducted a lot for my shows in Birmingham with Polina Seminova, who recently guested from Berlin. And also he did my last performance in Edinburgh. And he, the relationship with a conductor, they do come into the studio as and when they can during the, they travel around a lot. So it's, it's a life on the road, but they do come in the studio nine times out of 10 to go through and see how the dancer is working and what speeds, that being the part of their or solos. Now, there's no, never too much interference unless you really do need something, you're requesting something. Sometimes it could be that you are doing a slightly different step to, say, maybe the other casts, which does take a bit longer. So therefore, you might need just a little bit more breath in a certain part of the music. Or sometimes you're like, you know, there might be a step that you just want to get on with it. Mm-hmm. So I would say to the conductor, just keep going, keep like push me, yeah, you know, push me on that part. Mm-hmm. Another example in Capalia, I, I made my debut in the autumn in Capalia, and Paul Murphy conducted that. I had my shows here in Birmingham in the coda of that. It's a Dalib score, yes. wonderful, joyous yes. score. And he, I wasn't very experienced with the role, 
So I didn't really know what I need in terms of all the tempos. I just thought I'll just dance to what it is. And I hate being off the music. Otherwise, why do we have the music? I try my darnest to be and match everything and get there. Because it also has an impact for the audience. If something's late or a late finish, it's like when an, an orchestra gets out of sync. Yes. I am almost an orchestra member. As a dancer, I'm, you know, this is my instrument. Yeah. I also need to work with how they're yeah, working. Yeah, there's nothing it, worse yeah, when it, the orchestra it, lags behind uh, with the conductor. Yeah, it's like, ah, stop, yeah. stop, stop, let's start again. But I remember in the coda, as I was doing it, he kept on pushing. Mm-hmm. Kept on pushing, jump, bump, 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 jump, bump, 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 diddle, 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 all that part. Yeah. And he really pushed me and it helped me so much. And I didn't know I needed it at the time. Yeah. But he was honouring the punchiness yeah. and the joyous, that joie de verve of the score of pushing it on. And I didn't know I liked it and wanted it like that until afterwards when I said to him, I, I, I said to him in the curtain call, thanks for pushing yeah. me further. And he just kind of gave me that nod as mm. I knew that that is what was needed. Yeah. And that's what separates ballet conductors from even recital conductors or mm. anything like that, because mm. they, they are really the only part that can see both what's on stage and what's going on in the pit. They are kind of, they're kind of the puppet masters. And it takes work. It takes work. And I always say experience can only be gained. It can't be taught. And it does take time. And people like Paul Murphy and all the other conductors I've said have that. They, yes, you can't please everybody. Every show is always going to be different, especially if you've got different casts. You might be conducting two shows a day. One person wants it a bit slower on that section, but then on the other section, the other people want it quick. And it probably a lot to deal with and then you've got personalities that are involved (laughs) but I think if there's a middle ground of the dancer knowing on how the music is to be intended but then also having space and breath in certain other areas sometimes it might not be oh I need I need that jump to be really slow it could be could the breath before it be a bit more pulled out Mm -hmm. so it winds up into the next part so it's not destroying on actually how the jump part of the music is, but it's actually leaving a slightly longer breath in the piece yeah. of the space or the pause before that piece of choreography happens. So I think it's about strategy. Uh-huh. You know, it's about being strategy and being strategic with it. And for the dancer to know the music really well, to have this rapport with the conductor from the studio into stage, you know, and, and I focus as well, you know, like before starting a solo, I would walk on and settle. The conductor knows I've settled full stop. Uh-huh. Sometimes I do a slight breath and that might be seen in my chest and slightly my shoulders and the arms might raise a little bit. Then they know to go uh-huh. and then we go together. When the music starts and my arm goes and then we know we are on to the right track. But if I'm ignoring the conductor, I go ahead, I do it all. Yeah. And then I'm like, the music hasn't started. I look down and he's like yeah. speeding it up or something. Mm-hmm. Then it's out of sync already. It's out of sync already. It needs to be in sync from the breath. Mm -hmm. And then everybody is on the equal footing of pushing forward. We all know where we are. It's clear. But it's such a rapport. And I I love the conductors I've worked with, all of them throughout the years. Thomas Young is another one who recently did some of the triple wheel in the autumn, 7th Symphony, Beethoven 7th Symphony, which was, I mean, what a piece that is. And he he made some lovely short work of that. So, yeah, it's great. it's a rapport, it's, it's a relationship. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much that I can kind of, we can talk about going from there. But so is there like a loss of eye contact that you have to maintain with the conductor during a performance? Or do you have like a camera that you can look at? Or 
Never, never cameras of such. It's most of the time we can see the conductor. Okay. If anything, on really deep stages, if you're at the back, yeah, it might be quite hard to see the conductor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, just because of the edge of the stage. But nine times out of ten, you really can see them. And it's not something when I'm doing a part de deux, I'm not focusing on the conductor at all. Like if mm-hmm. something is a bit quicker. I will try and push it with the, my partner. Yeah. I wouldn't really be looking at the conductor, mm-hmm. but it's mostly when it's I'm funny. doing solos and things, the start of something, or if I'm kind of doing something, I don't know, maybe a slight signal, but it's really the hard work really get, uh, in terms of getting that down comes from the studio. Uh-huh. It really comes from the studio because mm-hmm. when we're in our element, when we're on stage and when, we're, when they're in the pit, there's other things to be focusing on. We have everything and the lights, Maybe a slippy or a sticky floor. The costume might not be behaving. The props might be not behaving. And then again, the conductor, there could be other things going on with a band of like 50 members or whatever. So there's other things that we are contending with. So it's almost like what the conductor and what the dancer needs to do. We've already kind of met earlier and got Mm. it out of the way. If anything, we've just said before the show, sometimes before the curtain goes up, one of them could come up and say, so everything okay? And, you know any requests or anything and sometimes most of the time I just go go for it go for it at the end of the day I'm always going to try my hardest to be on the music you said that you have danced to Beethoven's symphony what would you say are the differences then dancing to a ballet which has much more of a storyline and then dancing I suppose to more abstract works like but yeah like Beethoven or Bach or whatever Mm, so mm, mm. The differences. So the biggest differences always tend to come in the choreography oh, okay. and the intention of carrying a story, whether it be in a character or something like that. And also with narrative, sometimes there's a lot of comedic timing. There's uh-huh. like Taming the Shrew, for example, yeah. or Capelia, as mm-hmm. we've already spoken about. Capelia yeah. Act 2 with Dr. Capelius and, and also, of course, Von Hilda as she's posing as Capelius, with, as Capelia with Dr. Capelius. There's lots of comedy moments. Now, that is something which is really vital w- alongside the music. If a dancer, individual on stage, is going early and the music is late or vice versa or something like that, then to the audience, it's not scripted right. Mm-hmm. It hasn't quite worked. If, you know, when, when if she'll do like a click in his face mm-hmm. or a clap or something like that, it tends to be with the orchestra at different mm-hmm. points to get the true whip and mm-hmm. the, like kind of slap fire yeah, humor yeah, yeah. kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when it's a narrative, that's where it is really important with the music. Mm-hmm. Or in Romeo and Juliet, for example, this stunning Prokofiev score, there oh, might yeah. be a bit in like the balcony part of that. Yes. And there's a bit where it kind of scales down. Dee-da-da. And he's getting up from the knee. And at that point, that kind of dee-da, it's as he's kind of like going towards her and then it changes and it goes back oh, again. Yeah. So that kind of scale down, yeah, yeah. mixed with the choreography, then visually they kind of see this and then yeah. propels into another section. So when it comes to narrative, it's almost like the music is the words and we're just doing the actions of that. Yeah. That's where it's very important. Non-narrative very abstract work, so Seven Symphony. Well, Uwe Schultz, the choreographer for that, yes, there's no narrative, but he really did it an ode to the music. So it's like the dancers are the instruments. Oh, yes, So yes. 
between different canons and different things popping up and the layering and yeah. it's a big cast as well. That, that was, it was almost as if the dancers are the instruments. So we were highlighting Mark, the sun. Mark Morris kind of does that as well with yeah. his photography, yeah. like with the handle. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes, I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And it, well, it's wonderful when you see that because it's an, in, yes, it's an imp- interpretation of one person's mind. Yeah. But it's funny how we all start to think, actually, yeah, that's genius. That's amazing. And Uwe Schultz, that's what that is. And some things have to be adjusted tempo-wise because a lot of that can be played very quickly. It's meant to be quick. But some of the choreography is really hard to get going in that speed. And especially in this time as well. Dance, ballet in particular, has really progressed. People's bodies can do even more. It's not just sports science, but it's also the extra training. It's all this. So people want to show it off more. Yeah. But sometimes to show more off in a certain way, you need a little bit more time to do it. And again, there's different proportions. Dancers are getting more taller. So it's more limbs to move around the stage. I'm an absolute giant. So, but I love moving quick. Yeah. So, but sometimes it is too quick for me. But then you have to anticipate. So it, a lot of that is working on getting it done. When we worked on Seventh Symphony in the autumn, uh, Thomas Jung was with us almost every single rehearsal with all of the speeds for all four movements. And I danced first movement principle and fourth movement principle, but the fourth movement very, very quick. And we had to do it quite a lot and knowing how the phrasing of the music, if it was starting later and how we would anticipate getting into it. So we were hitting it on the one rather than going on the one. And that kind of thing makes such a split, a big difference to landing and preparing than going up when you're meant to be preparing. So it's strategy. It's all strategy. And I find it fascinating. I can't really read music. I used to be able to like do bits when I learned it, as I said before, but I can't do any of that. I can't, but I love working and highlighting and, and hearing what they're bringing to the play. I like speaking with the conductors in the studio and just, yeah, kind of trying to get inside their head a little bit because it's, it's an art form in itself it really is, yeah. and it really matters. I think there can be some people in, in the dance field that maybe don't always appreciate mm-hmm. it. I'm much like, like, like they know it's a vital part, but yeah. they maybe don't appreciate it that much where actually it's, it's a huge thing. And that's one of my favorite things about what we do. And, and especially in a company like this to have live music, it's a privilege yeah. and to have our own incredible orchestra at the Royal Ballet Symphonia who amazing at what they do and very hardworking and very loyal to the orchestra as well because having loyalty and having a group of people who stick together that's what pulls this sound together so it's, it's not just in and out casual it's this group of people this team yeah who know how to do it and how each other work i've never played an actual orchestra myself no. but I imagine, like a ballet company, you get to know each other very well and mm. different people's tendencies yeah, and yeah. how they would <laughs> flip and slide through Definitely. scores and things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It's yeah. really wonderful. I actually, quite often as well, from the word go, in ballet class, we have a live pianist. Yes, yes. And I, so I used to request things. Oh. Oh, all the time. <laughs> the other day, we, the lady, she played, Poiré from Jules. Da, dee, da, dee, da, dee, da, da, oh, the Sicilian, da, yeah. Dee. I came into the centre, I just said, I really enjoyed the yeah, Poiré. And yeah, she was like, yeah. oh, thank you, thank you. And I was, I was like, more of that. 
anything like that, I always, I remember a few years ago, one of, one of our guys started playing that, but he would always play one bit on loop. Oh, yeah. And I yes. said to him, I said, you know, I really like this piece. And he was like, oh, it's wonderful. I yeah, said, yeah. it might be a big, big ass, but could you learn the rest yeah, of it? Yeah. <laughs> because I want to hear the rest of it. Yeah, and yeah. he did. He did. And I think that kind of thing, when musicians hear that it's appreciated in something just like class, then it becomes something else. Now, it's not just them playing music so I can do my tondos in plie, okay. but I'm actually listening and it's transporting me. Yeah, somewhere. and also like because you connect with it as well and that completely. also translate into your dancing, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, completely. And how I do the port de bras yeah, yeah. or how I would do a devil pay and lift my leg or something like oh, that. Oh, for the purposes of the podcast, Brandon's just done a beautiful <laughs> leg extension. <laughs> Even fit it in this small yeah. But it translates through and without the music, I don't know what dance is. There is an art of stillness and silence, but to really get a true transportation in an art form, it, it stems from music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say another amazing orchestra that we've got just down the road is, of course, the CBSO. Tell me about your relationship that you have with them. Dude, I've just really enjoyed throughout my time here in the company in Birmingham going to their recitals. I love sitting in the choir. Yeah. So I'm actually going to the symphony hall tonight nice. to Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto and I've never heard Recently it been played classic FM's number one yes yeah, it has yeah. it has been it has been I adore that score and yeah. I've never heard it played live and I've always kept one little eye out to see when it's going to be and yeah. I think when it had I was on tour at some point but I'm finally going tonight cannot wait it is everything yeah well, I've played that piece in an orchestra and it's listening yeah. out for those beautiful solos and oh. the flutes and the bassoons as well as, of course, the piano yeah. as well. It, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm so excited. It's going to be a highlight of the week. Yeah. Um, and then in a few weeks, Kamina Barana as well. But I try and go when I can, really, because mm-hmm. it's, it's very affordable. It really um, is, yeah. And, We're so lucky to have this yeah. orchestra on our doorstep. Yeah, aren't yeah. We? And, and the building itself is beautiful. It's, it's lovely. really lovely to sit yeah. in there. It's a really nice environment. So, yeah, I've just gone as much as I can to see them at Symphony Hall in all their glory. It's like, what's more to be said than get your tickets, guys. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And do you find that you have a different perspective as well, I suppose, as an audience member listening to classical music? I don't know. Do you think of like choreography in your head or something? No, no, I do. I do. I do. I really do think of choreography. If I'm listening to a piece of music in a recital, for example, where I have danced to it, yeah. it's quite hard to stem away from of that. Course, so when yes. I'll go watch Carmen and Barana, yeah, I yeah. will be thinking a lot it's of... It's just going to be work, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I will be thinking a lot of the choreography of that, but I've never danced to Rack, for no, example. Yeah, yeah. So it will just transport me in a way where creatively, maybe I'll be thinking of just steps myself. I just love the layering. I just, I love watching the orchestra itself and with me being in the choir. I think seeing the conductor, it's kind yeah. of like being on stage a little oh, bit. Course, I think that's yes. why I like sitting yes, there yes. to see them, mm-hmm. see the, the conductor in action. Yeah, I'll just be enjoying it for what it is. Good, yeah. Good. And, and I imagine that you've, you must have had many opportunities to dance with the CBSO. Have you? Do you not know? No. Oh, really? No, I know. Oh. Yeah, no, because, well, when we're here in Birmingham, we do an annual music and dance at Symphony Hall. Yeah, I'm Hall, aware of that, yeah. But it's always with our own orchestra, yes, which yes. is an absolute privilege, yeah, incredible. Yeah. But yeah, never with CBSO. 
I've only ever been able to experience them from an audience point of view. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine because yeah. it, it allows me to actually just sit and enjoy yeah. rather than being in a lycra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, other than the Royal Ballet Symphonia, it's been the taste of, of the Royal Philharmonic. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, I was going to say, actually, because you're going to be heading off to Zurich in a few months with the company of the Opera House. I mean, that's going to be so amazing. You're going to have the opportunity to watch world-class opera singers as well, the orchestra. I know. I mean, yeah, you couldn't it's, honestly be in a better place. It is a pinch me kind yeah. of one, you know? I think already going to a different country, experience a different culture is amazing. But the fact that Palo Zurich is in an opera house, yeah. so you know that... Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's going to be incredible. And putting the dancing aside in terms of being exposed to more artists, more world-class artists, yeah. and like operas, like we said, and other programs, it's, it's going to be amazing. I yeah. just really, into, you know, I want to see as much as I can and, and be a part of it in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And have you ever had a chance to dance in any operas? Because I wonder when you go to Zurich, maybe, because at the Royal Opera House, I know that the dancers from the Royal Ballet often do their productions. Do you think, will that be the case? I'm not too sure. I think it has been done in the yeah. past. As far as I'm aware, I know, I know what Ballet Zurich could do next season. It's all been announced online, their okay. 23, 24 season. And of course, uh, well, the whole Opera House. Yes. So it's got the, all of the operas announced. It's got all the ballet announced. Yes, of course. So... I'm just not sure if there's any crossover. Yeah. There could be. I suppose I'll find out a little bit more when I'm there. That would be incredible if there is. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'd yeah. definitely be up for that. But that's all to be discovered. That's yeah. all to be discovered. It's going to be very different to what I've been used to here. Again, like I said, being part of an opera house, but also the scheduling. Because like the Royal Opera House in London, the opera and the ballet, sometimes there'll be an opera that week and there'll be a ballet that week. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. the same in Zurich. It won't be like a block schedule of six shows of the ballet that week. It could be interspersed and crossover productions, which I also find very exciting. And mm-hmm. I think that goes back to my um, first being exposed to theatre and being enjoying seeing set changes and things yeah. like that. I just find it fascinating how a theatre or an opera house, I should say, can facilitate changes like that and how this space behind the proscenium can change within instantly within a couple of hours mm. you know to something else i yeah. think that's incredible yeah it's amazing yeah yeah oh i also think that the opera house in zurich the pit is very open it's a very oh, big pit which i'm really okay. it might not seem a big thing to a lot of people but yeah. i think that's great is I that the, and i guess they have the hippodrome pit i guess that's quite narrow is it quite narrow? Um, it is quite large yeah. it is quite large as far as some theaters go but the opera house in zurich I am actually going to be going back there. I have been, yeah. but I never went into the actual auditorium. But I'm going back again to watch the, the Swiss premiere of Kathy Marston's The Cellist. Oh, amazing. Which she oh, originally did on the Royal Ballet. Another um, musical yeah. ballet. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jacqueline Dupree. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. So I'll be in the auditorium, so I'll actually really get a good idea of that. But from all my research and the photos and videos I've seen, the pit looks really kind of deep from the stage to the even the first line of the audience. So yeah. um, again, I think... For me as a performer, I think that's wonderful because they're there. It's not like they're kind of half disappeared. No, no. That's so cool. Do you ever get the chance to actually dance on stage with live musicians, like live musicians on stage? It has happened. It has happened. One that instantly springs to mind is Kenneth McMillan's Elite Syncopations. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 And it's not a full orchestra. It's, no. it's pretty much the band. Jazz band, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, jazz band. And they're at the back. Yeah. And, and they've all got their hats on. And they've all got their yeah, hats on. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they all get involved, don't they? They get yeah. very much involved. And it's, it's wonderful. It's such a great piece there. Yeah. And that, that ballet really allows lots of... It's very relaxed. The set is very stripped down. You actually see that it's exposed. I think yeah. they take the wings down. There's no backdrop. You actually see the brick wall exposed of the theatre backstage. And I've danced two roles. Well, I've, I've danced Corin up. I've danced in the Bethina Walls part of that and Friday Night solo. Okay. And I always remember it doing Friday Night that he's the showman and his solo comes right at the end of the night uh-huh. before the finale. And I would always go and stand by the piano and kind of lean on the piano uh-huh. and then see whoever was playing that night. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was uh, the wonderful Jonathan Higgins then played it quite a lot oh, amazing. Um, on yeah. that jury. And this was a big one when we talk about cues and looking, because there's yeah. no conductor for elite syncopations. Sometimes whoever was playing the piano would conduct the band or cue in uh-huh. or something like that. But with Friday Night, what happens? He starts almost centre stage facing the front and he goes into, a, he bends his knees into a plie and uh-huh. he has to jump straight into the air and okay. split his legs and land. Oh, okay. But as that happens, he goes plie, plie, and it goes da 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 dum. So you've got to be on it straight away. Otherwise you'll go, da, yeah, da, yeah. Da, you know, or you go, da, 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 and you'll yeah. be late. So what I would always do is be there and they would know my cue. Okay, I'm ready. I would walk forward. And he was a bit, this character's very kind of suave, yeah. tired of arrogance, all yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah, the showman. Yeah, yeah. And I would stand, I'd look back. And then after I looked, it would go one Two, three. Da, da, oh, da, da. Okay. So he would know that within myself, I've given myself a one, yeah. two, three. Da, da, so you da, give da, him da. the cues. Exactly. Yeah. And then it would be boom, straight yeah. on it every time. And it was fantastic. We performed it a lot and it was amazing. Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Do you have an affinity with any particular composers that you enjoy dancing to? I know you've mentioned um, the Prokofiev. Any others? <laughs> Prokofiev is wonderful. Yeah. That Romeo and Juliet Romeo and Juliet, and even the Cinderella score. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with Paul Murphy a while ago and asked him, well, what's your, do you have a favourite score you like to come yeah. And he was pretty much saying, hands down, Cinderella. Oh. Yeah, he said, Cinderella, it's, there's something about it. It's, I don't know if it's a technical thing for him in the orchestra or what, but he said that score is really, yeah, there's everything about it he loves. Gosh, I, I don't know if I do have a favourite of such. I just love hearing live music. Yeah. You know, when you're learning in the studio and with, you hear it on the piano quite a lot, if they're doing a piano reduced score, it comes to a time where you're like, can we get on stage now? And it's mostly because I want to hear the orchestra. Mm. Sometimes I would, when the orchestra had their own practice in the theatre, sometimes go out front and just listen in the orchestra, mm. in the auditorium. Yeah. Even most recently in Edinburgh, before I did my last performance of Swan Lake with the company, I was on stage very early warming up and the orchestra had arrived and they were just going through some things with Martin. He was conducting all the shows there and it was just before opening night. I was getting ready and they decided to do just bits of Swan Lake that night. I think they, they, they played all of the Shardash from Act 3 and mm-hmm. they did bits of the actual Swan Lake theme itself and just, yeah, and I loved it, you know, just kind of being around it and hearing them at work doing mm-hmm. their thing and just kind of hearing little things of what he was saying to them and you know, different parts he was bringing up and pulling down and 
just it's just fascinating yeah have, have you ever sat in the pit i haven't oh you, have, haven't. you must do that before I you should, leave yeah. yeah i haven't but now you've said that i have just thought one that really stood out to me one moment and there's a part of the which carlos brought into the repertoire emerging from the pandemic uh, it's a part of the called end of time by ben stevenson and it's Rachmaninoff's cello sonata okay and there was something about emerging from that time and learning this beautiful new this part of it it's not actually new but new to us as a company and performing that we did it for we filmed it because it had to be filmed then we couldn't mm, perform live mm. and then it has been danced also at the rep part of our music and dance and we also danced it in nottingham part of music and dance and that the simplicity just the piano and the cello and we also had them on stage with us. Oh, amazing. And it was really, that was quite beautiful. That's, that music is, brings a tear to the eye. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is it like when you make the transition from piano rehearsals to orchestral rehearsals? I mean, obviously, this must be something you're very used to now, but is it always still, you know, a bit of a buzz when you kind of oh, get to hear the orchestra yes. for the first time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The biggest buzz is when you're ha- hearing those iconic pieces of music. So yeah, you might be... Yeah. Again, it's recent, but Swan Lake, when you hear the overture, yeah, you, know, yeah. you might hear that and you're like, whoa, it's yeah. happening. Um, and it really sets the scene. But I'll tell you what the biggest kind of surprises can be is when it's a brand new score. Of course, And yes. in the studio. Like new commissions. New and commissions. Stuff, yeah. And you may be working with like an electronic version of what oh, the composer's okay. done. So it's, you know, to the, um, the MIDI or something in okay. the studio. So you'll be hearing that and you'll be hearing these electronic sounds thinking, oh, it's trying to be an orchestra, yeah. but, you know, they've done what they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can't just, like, record it like that. So you've been working with that. And then when you get to stage, you're like, so that's what yeah. that bit sounds like. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't got any, like, yeah. MIDI anymore. Oh, yeah. that's what that yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. like. Oh, that's it's cool. It's an actual instrument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is a big one. That is a big one. New commissions, that's what's really exciting because you've created the piece in the studio. You've been working on for weeks or months. but you're like. I don't know if I've really heard how the composer wants this to be intended. You know, mm. we've just been hearing this kind of false sound. Yeah. So it's only when you get to the stage, you're like, ah, this is great. This mm. is exciting. And, and then sometimes with a lot of the newer commissions, sometimes they've added some electrical soundscapes over the top. Yeah, yeah. D.D. Veldman had that with Sense of Time, which was, is it Gabriel Prokofiev? I think he worked on that. I might be mistaken. But there was a bit kind of looped over the top on that. Okay. These kind of electronic sounds. Sounds like and, it might yeah. be Gabriel. Yeah. yeah, and it was just, it was just very interesting. And he, yeah. he it was in the studio, and I'll tell you oh, one thing that really comes to mind now. I'm, I'm going back a little bit. A good friend of mine who used to be in the company called Ruth Brill, who's now um, the director of London Children's Ballet. She was commissioned to choreograph Arcadia, which was based on the Greek god Pan. And the, she was actually given the music of uh, John Hall, saxophonist. Yes, yes. And he reworked it a little bit with her. I mean, it was already standing, this music, but he reworked it with her a little bit. And I will never forget before, it was like one of the last rehearsals in the studio, and he came in and played the whole oh, thing amazing. in the studio. Yeah. The whole thing. And I thing. mean, when you've got someone like John Hall, one of the great saxophonists of our generation, like what he playing, does with the instrument is oh, just extraordinary. He played every yeah. single performance. Yeah. And he came in the studio and also played it. Like, you never get that. You're like, of course, we have the piano in the studio yeah. or the tape or whatever. 
but you never get the instruments no. actually the, the musicians coming into the studio and actually playing it so for him to come in yeah and played the whole thing it was a about 25 30 minute ballet yeah but what a privilege and honour for oh, that to happen. Yeah. Literally, upstairs. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, in regards to working with other live musicians, I wonder, have you ever danced um, the Song of the Earth? No, I haven't. Because that's yeah. one that really strikes to mind as well. I mean, that yeah. iconic performance with Darcy Bustle that, and, yeah. of course, Carlos yes, as well. Yes, Carlos and Gary yeah, 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 I remember that well because I was actually at White Lodge at the time. I remember I was doing my GCSEs. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember we were watching it. We, we shouldn't we were, tell them that. Yeah, we were, we were watching it, I remember. Yeah. And then, like, after the weekend, we all came in school and we were like, oh, my yeah. goodness, did you see that? Yeah. And this was before, you know, social media. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at White Lodge. Yeah. I, I think I was doing my GCSEs. Yeah, actually, you know, okay. 10 or 11. Yeah, yeah. And... We were at White Lodge, and of course, this was all happening at the Opera House of across course, town. Yeah. And they got everyone into the studio theatre, and we had the live stream. Live stream yeah. And it was amazing because, you know, of course, not everyone could be in the Opera House no, themselves. No. But I think with, with Darcy being alumni, it was a thing that we were all going to be doing and tuning yeah. in to this world class ballerina yeah, yeah. and alumni to see it. So, unfortunately, I've never danced it, no. but I remember that time. I yeah. think that was quite an iconic and memorable piece of British dance anyway, yeah. but, uh, but international really, of this ballerina retiring yeah. to such a piece like that. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the score is just so amazing. I mean, Marla's music is just... Have you ever danced to Marla? I haven't. I oh, haven't. okay. I mean, maybe, maybe it'll happen in Zurich. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe it'll happen in Zurich. There's quite a few amazing scores. There's, there's going to be new commissions next year, but there's a few highlights which I am looking forward to dancing to. Uh, well, I don't know. Preempt casting, no, no, you can't um, but being around and within the first program, I'm a big fan of Philip Glass. I know some people find it hard to listen to. I love Philip Glass music oh, and so dancing oh. to in the upper room, Twilight Harps in the yeah. upper room too. That was great. But within the first mixed bill, Kathy has programmed glass pieces, and so the, of course there'll be that score. And then also later in the season, Najinska's Lenos is going to be within that, which I think is very exciting, that very meaty piece of music yeah. um, that you don't hear very often. Oh, no, um, so I think that'll be very interesting. And then also there's going to be a revival of the current director's work, Requiem, Method of Requiem. Okay. Which... Puccini. Verdi. Verdi, yeah. Which, again, yes. a huge piece of music. That's D-A-Z-O. Yeah. It just gets you everything, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so yeah. I think one thing that, Oh, another thing on the list that will be very exciting about this next chapter in Zurich is the musical element. And with the opera being on the doorstep and how the ballet company does include, and it is very much that way, in terms of, you said about dancers being in the operas, I'm not too sure, but it is part of the ballet to have, I think it's at least two programmes of the season, which include a chorus, vocals, oh, wow. the opera. Yes, so having Les Nos. And of course, Requiem within that is wonderful. Yeah. Did you ever hear, there was an anecdote about, you just reminded me. So when Philip Glass, when he was premiering one of his works with um, a group of singers, because it was in 7-4, and so (laughs) the singers, you know, they never really kind of worked on anything Mm. like this before. So Mm. instead of going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, they would count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you've ever had any moments like that. 
Sometimes when it comes to counts, because dancers have their own counts, there's this exactly. whole there's this whole joke of dancers can only count to eight. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. six, seven, yeah, eight, and so. one, two. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it tends to happen more with new commissions yeah. or, you know, less square things. Yeah. But that kind of is all ironed out in the studio when we're learning choreography. And sometimes uh, choreographers have the music down. They know the counts completely. And they're like, okay, we have the four that goes into a seven. That's two sixties, sixes and the three eights. Yeah. Sometimes they break it down that way or their own interpretation. And then they give that to the dancers mm-hmm. with movement. Then there's some dancers who, some choreographers who are like, I don't count. It's a feeling. Oh, oh yeah, that. sometimes that happens. I wouldn't be able to cope yeah. with so, that. So that, yeah, it can be tricky. Yeah. I have done that sometimes. Sometimes when you're working on, I've, I've worked on work where they've put random music on to create material. Okay. And they say, the score's not finished yet. Okay. So you're creating for maybe two weeks. Okay. Then they bring the score in. Yeah. And they're like, we need to, let's just try and make it fit. Okay. It's a fit. Just where would that kind of place, <laughs> okay. you know, where, how would we do that? Yeah. How would we highlight that? And then they edit and chop and change uh-huh. and put that there and that there. And, yeah. you know, that it's very much an experimental time. And it's great if you have the time. Sometimes all choreography. Normally, all choreographers run out of time. You know, there's never enough hours in the day. Oh, They're no. constant perfectionists. Time, yeah. They want to keep going, but there's always going to be that deadline of getting it on stage. So sometimes, you know, they'll create the work, it'll go out, and then maybe there's a revival and they go, okay, we're going to change this section because they wasn't ever happy with it or they, on reflection, they're like, we can spice it up a bit more or change this or change that. But in terms of counts and get the feeling... <laughs> It tends to happen in the studio, yeah, so then there's less surprises on the stage. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Have you ever been asked to do Desert Island Discs? No, I mean, I would love to. Because uh, I was thinking, <laughs> my final question, so you have a piece of music, a book and a luxury item to take with you to a desert island, what would they be? Okay, so say that again, a piece of music, yeah. a book yeah. and a luxury item. To a desert island. How long am I on the desert island for? Maybe I'll choose a really long Forever. piece of music. Oh, <laughs> I'll choose a very long piece of music. Well, do you know what? Because it's fresh and because I'm going to see it, let's go with Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. Okay. Let's just go with that. Any particular movements or all of it? Or? The whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. And that's because it's fresh in my memory yeah. right now and I really do adore that piece. Yeah. Oh, but then actually, no, I'm thinking now I love Ravel yes. and I love his... Second piano concerto. Okay. I love that one. Yeah. We and I've danced to that. Yeah. And then Camille and Ballet, La Femme de Jour. It's a wonderful piece. It's a little bit dated in terms of the style in production and costumes, but it is a fantastic piece, hard piece to do. But that's great. And I really love. Oh, who's the music? It is Ravel, but I don't know the name of the actual music. But it's to Daphne and Chloe. It's Daphne yes, and Chloe. Daphne and Chloe. Is, yeah. it, is it just Daphne and yes, Chloe? Yeah. Yes. I love that. I think it's very otherworldly. This is a question I tell you because now <laughs> I'm thinking about ditching Rachmaninoff and going with Ravel. Oh. This is hard. All um, right, you can have two. So, okay, so let's go with Daphne <laughs> yeah. and Chloe. And have you, have you done Daphne and Chloe? I have, yes. Amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. Again, it's a little bit dated with costumes, but the music will never be dated. Yeah. And the choreography is wonderful. So Frederick Ashton, that is yeah. a bit of an English heritage work. Wonderful piece. And we did it around the same time as Arthur Bliss's uh, Checkmate. Oh, that's very different I style, love, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I love yeah. that score. Arthur yeah. Bliss's. Very English. Yeah, very English, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, 
those scores I would just listen to always in my free time. Uh-huh. I'll always go to those scores in my free time. A book. <laughs> oh, a book. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Yeah. And then a luxury or, or item. It could be a, or it could be a box set, or I don't know. Oh, a box set. Oh, <laughs> now we're talking. Oh, this is hard. A book or a box set. Or a TV programme. I mean, or... there's so many. Even at the moment, I've been, it's finished now, but Happy Valley. Oh, okay. Did you, I don't know if you've Oh, yeah, we, we, we did it. watch a bit of it and we got, really, we got really creeped out. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very much <laughs> we like that. We watched it over the Easter weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very much that, but it's, even though it's, it's creepy and it's, you know, the theme's a bit scary, yeah. it's. It's very close to my hometown, so there's bits of nostalgia. Oh, okay. I don't know if people would necessarily associate Happy Valley with nostalgia, okay, yeah. but it is for me, yeah. um, being a Yorkshire boy, and up there in Halifax and Salby Bridge and all that, Hebden yeah. Bridge. So probably one of those boxes okay. or something. And then a luxury item. Can it be a living, breathing item? Well, <laughs> how would they survive on the island? That's very true. <laughs> because I think my sister would be a hoot. Oh. I think taking my sister would be a hoot. Well, I, I guess I guess you could find food. You could find some way to feed yourself. Yeah, you on the island. Yes, exactly. fish, wouldn't we? Although I think it'd be yeah. me doing the fishing. I don't think she'd do the fishing. But if not, a luxury item, something that's not living, I would say something very comfortable to lie on. That sounds good to me. Very comfortable to lie on, you know, because I get a bit annoyed with sand sometimes. Okay. <laughs> you know, it gets everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd say something very comfortable to lie and sleep on and all that, you know, because... I'm not good if I haven't had any sleep. Okay. I think everyone's a bit like that, a bit angry. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, probably something really comfortable to yeah. lie and sleep on. Yeah. Oh, Brandon, it's been such a pleasure talking to you about music and dance. And I've learned so much as well that I wouldn't otherwise. Thank you for your Pleasure time. is all mine. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talking Classical podcast. I do hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other major outlets where you get your podcasts. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or the Talking Classical blog. If you have a moment, please would you leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, as this will help to increase visibility and get the podcast to more people. Many thanks for listening once again. And I hope that you'll be able to join me for another podcast very soon. Bye for now.